Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad you're joining me today. I can't wait to spend this time with you. We're going to have Guide Talk happening happening for the extended version of 90 Minutes, and then Pastor Rusty George will be joining me in the second hour as well. So that's going to be a wonderful show. If you have questions for the power panel, let me know what they are. You can text them over to 877-933-2484. If you've got a question about uh, the Bible or what's going on in the world and you want us to tackle it, we're more than happy to do so. Again, that number is 877-933-2484. If it's easier for you to remember an email address, you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. The power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Dr. Peter Kapsner, and uh, the double agent. Justin Jepson. That's the power panel. Now, why, do you, why do you call him that? I never got that. I don't know. Well, because he looks like he's got this secret agent life. He's got the cool hair and, you know, <laughs> come on. And he's young. He's young okay. and good looking. Yeah, and well, we all, he has hair. We all mildly <laughs> res- resent him in small ways, gotcha. you know. So. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, for sure. The only thing that's true about any of that is I'm young. <laughs> younger <laughs> than the rest of you guys. That's, that's it. But, but thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and you're fun to tease, so that's what, another reason I do it. <laughs> oh, good, good. Sure. Yeah, and if you guys want your own theme music, just let me know what it is, and I'll mm, get it for you. I'll have to think on that. I shouldn't, oh. have, I shouldn't have told that to Tom Brock. Anyway. <laughs> that's true. We were all thinking that. No. <laughs> How's everyone doing? I just want to open up and say hello. Everyone's uh, doing doing fine? Yes. All good. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Let's get started with a question. I've already got one. Uh, this is out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2 where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you renew your mind, or does God renew your mind? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think there's as always the Lord is inviting us through his word, through other people, through circumstances, to let our mind be renewed. And that means that our minds are becoming to think more and more like Jesus, to see like Jesus, to respond like Jesus, to have his values, his worldview. I need to be in that situation when that opportunity comes to say yes. But rarely do I create the situation just to my own volition. It's usually the circumstances that pull me in. People ask a question that's I haven't heard or really stimulates me. And that becomes the move then of the Holy Spirit to begin for me to begin to consider what do I need to do to be more like Jesus and to really put this to work. And I think for me, I was talking with the pastor this morning. The biggest breakdown in Christianity is that we're we're good at at telling people the theology. We're not good at telling them how to do the theology. You know, how do you practically go from hearing God's word to actually doing it? And that's what we need to be working on. And that's what I think it means to renew your mind. I like that answer. I, I agree there. Um, I, I think what comes to my mind is you know in Jesus' prayer in John seventeen when he prays to the Father and says, "Lord, sanctify them in your truth." 
your word is truth. Yeah. And so I think, you know, renewal truly of the mind can only happen in the context of, of, a, of a relationship, which obviously Christ makes possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, for me, that the practical aspect of it, like I, I agree, Tom, I think it's easy to kind of state that kind of confessionally or even propositionally, but how does it actually work out practically in our lives? And I think I mentioned this last week. I, you know, I have a personal identity statement in Christ that I, um, that I've written down that I've, you know, prayerfully thought through and crafted by looking at a number of different scriptures, but I've also done that through, um, a number of different, you know, personal theology statements of, you know, how, who God is intersects with my, with my, with my actual everyday practical life. And I, and I pray through that every single day. And so, I think that that renewing of the mind it takes an intentional, you know, effort in terms of a cooperation on our part. But truly, it's it's really God does it. So we kind of posture ourselves for it, but yet it's the work that He does in relationship to, to us and with us. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really well said, Justin. Too. I, I just it occurs to me. I don't think that we're just meant to be sort of these passive lumps that sit on the couch and God just does stuff to us. Uh, you know, there there is some sort of it appears anyway um, co agency about. You know our efforts in conjunction with God's efforts at, at work in us. So I just one of the passages that comes to mind is that passage about working out your salvation in fear and trembling, for God is at work in you to will and to act according to His purposes. And and I think that that we can't achieve the renewing of the mind on our own, but we also don't just sort of sit like an empty lump and then God just every day you know downloads downloads some renewal into us independent uh, of sort of our effort associated with it. So I. I think that's always been the invitation of the biblical text is that there is a, a co-effort of some kind involved, even if we don't always understand how that works. And I'm thinking, too, of Romans 12, too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. <clears throat> okay, how do we do that? I think most people would say, you read your Bible every day. I think that's a huge part mm-hmm. of it. But I, I'm thinking of this. A lot of the people that were in the Church of Rome couldn't read. Lots of people couldn't read uh, back in the first century. And almost none of them, probably none of them, had the entire—they wouldn't have had—even the even though the Old Testament was complete, who would have had a copy of the Old Testament? Probably nobody. So I think uh, part of the renewing of your mind probably meant you attend uh, uh, worship, be in fellowship, hear the preaching from mm-hmm. the apostles— and that was the way you remo- renewed your mind in the first century. We're highly privileged, privileged to have the whole Bible, and I read my Bible mm-hmm. daily to renew my mind. Because this world, I mean, I'll get caught up in the lives of this world just like everybody else if I don't have a, something to test it against. But I think that verse also t- speaks to the importance of everybody being in a Christian fellowship. And I, I get emails now and then from people that say, you know, Pastor Brock, I don't go to church anymore because the church is in darkness. And I understand the Bible properly, but the church doesn't. So I just stay home now and read my Bible. And then, then they tell you what they believe. It's always weird. If you try to if you try to interpret the Bible by yourself and think you are the authority of how to understand Scripture, these people get strange in their beliefs. And so yeah. just be, be in good, good Christian fellowship. You know, I actually had somebody say that to me about two weeks ago. And it was funny because I never thought about what the same response. But they said, you know, I don't need to go to church anymore. I, I, everything is fine with Jesus. And I said, well, when did Jesus give you that permission? Amen. And, and the person just stood there and looked at me like, where did this come from? Yeah. And you can say, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, but the, the bottom line is we keep telling people what we think Jesus wants us to right. do. 
which is our imagination, right. compared to what he's already told yeah. us to do. And, and Hebrews chapter 10 tells you to go to church. Exactly. <laughs> so if I'm just reading the Bible and obeying it on my own, okay, then get your rear end in the church, you know? Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. no wonder at the end of, you know, after that in Romans 12, he talks about the context of the body and, and having and exercising your spiritual gifts, which obviously <laughs> you can't, can't do. be done in isolation. Exactly so I think right. That's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Okay, now I'm in. Yeah, I love that. Oh, what ahead, you guys Peter. are bringing up. Uh, the Toms too, just the, you know, Brock, what you just said about the idea that all four of us, all five of us, and I think many of our listeners, of course, uh, we hold the Bible up as as such a supreme example uh, of how to live your life in in faith and in purpose. And uh, and all of us really hold the Bible in sort of that high, uh, inspired, infallible guide. But but Brock, I love what you said that for 1,500 years and even 1,600 years prior to the printing press, prior to the wide distribution of the scriptures, mm-hmm. faithful believers live their lives without access to those scriptures. And yep, and I right. think um, we don't we'll never diminish the role of, of the Bible. But I do think that there is something about possibly raising up the role of the other disciplines in the life of the believer, and, and that do help renew our mind, including. Fellowship, and it's a stupid example, but you know, I'm in the middle of class teaching today, and and maybe feeling a bit weary, and and uh, needing some focus and some uh, ability to sort of continue to engage in in uh, in God's work in, in the kingdom there. And so I called Justin right in the middle of class just because his name came up. One of my students was was teasing me because of something Justin had said, and I called him up. And just in the dumb interchange in class for those those five minutes while Justin was on speakerphone in the mm-hmm. middle of class. You know, I left that that encounter in that time just renewed in some way, and my mind was engaged and ready to go again. And I just think we do really need to think about some of the other practices in our faith mm. that complement and come alongside our reading of the scriptures. Amen. Amen. Agreed. Yeah, the so sanctified sarcasm can can transform your mind. <laughs> it was very effective today, Jepson. <laughs> well, yeah, your sanctified sarcasm really got it done. It was it was brilliant. So, you know, Peter. You you're a professor of of New Testament Bible. Is that your right? No, I just I kind of make it up on any given day. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, don't you mainly teach Bible courses at Northwestern? Uh, it, yeah, it's funny when you're an adjunct in a, in a Christian ministries program. So I'm a three quarter time lecturer, which does mean that I'll teach anything from oh. sort of ethical issues okay. to um, to social issues to New Testament. Of course, will fall into that category so, as well. So you play cleanup. <laughs> you so, do everything. So you know, just, does, does Justin teach classes at Northwestern? No, he does. We I teach do. at the same time, actually, eight o'clock on, on Tuesdays oh. and Thursdays. So I, I do crash his class. So what does he? T- what do you teach, Justin? Um, I'm kind of a little bit of a utility player, like Peter, but not at the same level as, as he is. I so I teach uh, within the biblical and theological studies. So okay. I teach spiritual formation, ethics. Oh. I'm teaching the Gospel of Mark class. So we got two today. professors. I got you. I didn't quite know that. That's good. We learn something new every day on the show, Tom. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't like to share much about that. I like to try to, con- you know, con- you know, hold to my secret agent. I yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a little break. We'll come back. Lots more guy talk today. So let me know what your questions are, what you would like us to uh, discuss. 877-933-2484. I'll give it again. 877-93-FAITH. Be back in a minute. All right, 
there's the guy talk theme song. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. <laughs> Let us know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Got power panel pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Peter Capster, Justin Jepson. We're all here to take your questions and concerns. Um, we were just talking about uh, Romans 12, 2, the renewing of our minds. Uh, God does say in Psalm 23, 3, that he restores our soul, which is lovely. Uh, he also says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, that uh, he has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This has got to be contributing to the renewing of our minds. Because if my soul is restored and I have a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love and of self-control, I would say my mind is renewing. And these are things God's given me. The question is, and I agree with you, how do you put that to work in your life? Ah, that's why I've got you guys here. Oh, there you go. <laughs> One of the pastors I met a long time ago, an elderly pastor they worked with, was a living example of what we're talking about because he had been a missionary overseas. He had done a lot of uh, Christian work throughout his life. But this was a man who took the Scriptures at their word. Mm -hmm. And when, he, when the Scriptures said, you know, go help those that are in need, he would literally pray put down his Bible, and go and find somebody that was in need and help them. Yeah. I mean, it was not, let's have a good theological discussion. Was that he, Daniel Freeberg? Well, it was actually Connie Jurgensen. Okay. Uh -huh. But Connie would go out and actually do it, which is so impressive. How many times, Bill, do you and I get a, a move from the Holy Spirit that says, you know, you need to call somebody, you need to do this, you need to change your thinking, you need to renew, you know, your attitude towards your spouse? And we say, yeah, that's, that's good. I hope I can get around to it if I have time. And it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And we miss the opportunity. But when we act on it, that's where I think all the difference comes in. And that's why uh, I think most sermons should be five minutes long. And then the pastors just say, now go do it and come back in an hour. And we'll talk more about it because that's how it really works. Well, what you're reminding me, though, Tom, is I know who you're talking. Conrad, York, okay. yeah, Jorgensen. godly old man. Oh. And, and so was Daniel Freeberg he and, was and your church, too. The person at my church, his name was Maynard Force. And... He was an old, white-haired man when I came to Hope Lutheran a gazillion years ago. And I, I had sat under his teaching. It was very good teaching. I quote Maynard Force all the time now. Yeah. I don't think I realized the impact his life was having on mine until okay. years later. Yeah, same for me. Yeah. So it's the, the importance of getting in a good church where you've got good pastors. And pastors and who aren't afraid to push a little bit about it. fear too, just, just that when you're talking about fear and renewing of the mind, I know we are actually just talking about that in class a little bit. And if we start with the idea that perfect love casts out fear and, and, and God is love and understanding that love in God's kingdom is very different than the love of tolerance, the love of embrace, the love of approval, the love of you do you, you know, all of that kind of love in our culture masquerading as kingdom love. If, if God's kingdom love is that we have a, a passionate, affectionate being who is always moving towards us so that we can be restored and whole, that doesn't mean that God tolerates sin and, and, and then obviously recognizes that our sin is what is keeping us from being whole and at peace and at rest. But, uh, but if we have a being that has that disposition towards us, that is pursuing us and sometimes disciplining us and sometimes coming after us and, and all of the ways in which God moves— that he desires our wholeness, that that's a definition for fear, then I think just working through that thought that I think so many of us are afraid when it comes to our sin and to the way we are and ashamed about it, 
uh, not recognizing that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more for those people that soft-heartedly are coming towards God, you can kind of work through this renewing of the mind to say, all right, so statement number one, I'm afraid. Statement number two, God is love. Statement number three is perfect love casts out fear. So statement number four is a question is, is why am I afraid? And, and I think that a starting point for many believers um, would be to just sort of marinate or, sim- or, or sort of simmer in that idea, because it, it, we, we only begin to walk in transformation when we are no longer afraid, knowing that God is for us, becoming very honest then with our depravity, mm-hmm. bringing that depravity to light to the God who is for us and then ultimately can transform us and bring us that restoration that we need. So just even a stupid little like exercise like that of sitting in that for a few weeks of saying, again, I'm afraid, God is love, perfect love casts out fear, why am I afraid, can invite you then to really open up your soul and all of the junk that's there to bring it to God. And, you know, Peter, I was, uh, years ago, I was visiting someone in the mental ward from my church. And while I'm talking to him, I'm noticing out of the corner of my eye, a a lady pacing back and forth in the hall, listening to our conversation. And I got done with my prisoner. I'm getting up to leave and she comes over, pastor, can I talk to you? And I said, okay. And we sat down and, and pastor, I'm in here because of my guilt. And she said, uh, the the psychiatrist was here and he said, no, you're in here because of your mental uh, issues. And she said, yeah, I have mental issues because of my guilt. Mm -hmm. And she said, I committed adultery against my husband, and it's killing me. And so I was able to hear her confession. We talked it out. She did profess faith in Christ. I put my hand on her head, and I announced to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's the kind of stuff we need to do to help people stay yeah. out of a mental institution. Not, not that there aren't genuine reasons to go into a mental institution, but there's so much guilt that Christians carry yeah. around because they don't have a priest. And what I mean by that is they don't have a prayer partner. I, I have a prayer partner, an older Christian man that I am in touch with regularly. He prays for me. If I'm having a, a temptation bout, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him about it. You know, Every Christian needs a, a priest in that sense, and and that's uh, James five. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So love let me, that. Let love me add that. a correlation to this, if it's appropriate. This is why the scripture says that believers should only marry believers. Mm-hmm. Not that we don't like other people; it has nothing to do with that. The problem is when you're young, you have a tendency to get excited about looks, how somebody looks. You know, they're good looking or whatever else. Uh, not all of us, Tom, can stay as good looking as you are. Your you, life, you're welcome. Anyway, but the bottom line is, when you have a spouse that has been with you from the early days of your life, and that spouse will challenge you, that spouse will say to you, "Why do you think that way? Why do you behave like that? Why aren't you behaving more like Jesus?" Or when you do the right things to say, "You really good remind job. me of the Lord." When you've done that, we need that in our life because let's face it: how often can you get to a priest? How often can you get to a pastor and confess your sins? You can. I mean, we can do that. But it's not the same as a home at 10 o'clock at night when you're fuming about something on TV and your spouse says to you, but honey, I thought you were supposed to represent Jesus by saying that. You don't sound like Jesus. I've actually had my spouse do that to me. And did I like it at first? No. But it's the best thing that's ever happened to me because it forced me to begin to look inside and change and let the Lord have more control because she reflected what I was doing. All right, here's a comment from a very smart 
a listener named Rosella. She said, uh, Bill and the power panel, when people talk about Romans 12, 1 to 2, they seldom reference the magnificent doxology in Romans 11, 33 through 36. I hope you can read that on the air. That's what the therefore in verse 1 is, therefore. And, of course, the doxology is, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Got a lot of smiling faces in the studio right now. I think the reason Paul says that at the end of Romans 11 is because he's just written Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, deeply getting into predestination. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that deep discussion says, oh, who can understand the ways of the Lord? You know, they're beyond us. Yeah, I think alongside of that, too, that therefore it's not just the 9, 10, and 11. I think it's the previous whole 11 chapters and the... you know, the, the reality of kind of the, the, the Pauline uh, formula is that he normally lays out the theology or the indicative of here's what is. And then the second half of his letters or the last half of his letters or last portion of his letters usually lay out the imperative of here's how you put this into practice. Here's, here's now how we must live in light of what is, in light of what's true about you, about God. And, and obviously we know from if you do a survey over Romans 1 through 11, I mean, he really covers the whole gamut. I mean, going back to... Um, I mean, the reality of our sin, our recognition, our need of a Savior, putting to death the deeds of the body that we might live, uh, talking about our glorious hope in the future, and then all of the various complexities of that, how that's applied to both the Jew and the Gentile audience, and ultimately really becoming one as a church. And then, I mean, it just makes sense that in light of the theology, if theology doesn't lead us to doxology, doesn't lead us to praise God, then then we're completely missing the point. And I think that's really the bridge to truly understand and know how to apply it. And, uh, um, and that's what I think ultimately leads up to that, to that therefore, you know, and it, I was just thinking through uh, the last segment too, of that, I be the last question and, and Paul and Timothy and just being, you know, re- remi- being reminded that the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And I think, you know, Paul's words to, to Timothy of, you know, don't be afraid. And, but, you know, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind, that those weren't just empty words that, you know, or just a theology that Paul was passing along to Timothy, that there was just a sweet, intimate, authentic relationship that had been cultivated there, that he called Timothy my child in the faith. And I think we need, as we've already talked about, we need to incarnate that to one another, and we need to have those Pauls in our life that we can look at that say, follow me as I follow Christ. We need to have those Barnabases in our life, right, that are alongside of us, that can encourage us. And then we also need to have those Timothys in our life, the ones to whom that we can pass along what we've received and reproduce in the lives of others what we've received. And so um, there's such a, yeah, there's such a rich imagery right there, I think, and just in all of what we're talking about. And those are just kind of some of the thoughts there as I'm trying to tie it all together. I like it. Lots more guy talk ahead. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Or else you can email me, Bill, at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the program. Guy Talk happening. Let me know what the questions are. 877-933-2484. I say that and I mean it. I'd love to hear from you. Um, of course, you can also email me, Bill, at MyFaithRadio.com. question came in from my wingman, Terry. He said, you know, my question concerns adult baptism. As a newer believer of five years and counting, I know I can do nothing to improve my salvation, as Jesus granted me this perfect gift through his death and resurrection. But after living a former life of sin and rebellion for 30 years, I'd like to make a public expression of my faith by getting baptized. Since I was baptized as an infant, my pastor said it wasn't necessary. I would like to hear the Power Panel's views on this topic. I'll give you each eight seconds. Go ahead. (laughs) Go, Tom. All right. Well, one Lord, one faith, one baptism is what the Bible says. So, if you baptize someone every time they come back to Christ, there are certain people you're going to have to baptize 20 times. So one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I would agree with the pastor. If you've been baptized, infant, adult, whatever, I wouldn't do it a second time because of that verse. All right. Differing opinions out there. Who's next? Well, I know one individual has been baptized seven times. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally. And, and in that sense, you're right. What we have lost is the understanding of covenants in modern society, in the Bible's Old Covenant, New Covenant. It is the Lord who's the initiator of the covenant. Now, in Terry's particular case there, if I was his pastor, and I've only done this a few times, I might reconsider taking him to the river. Not because he wasn't baptized as younger, but I'd call it a renewal of the baptism he already had. And I've taken a lot of people to rivers, to pools, and, and completely immersed them, because in their life there was so much sin that they were carrying They had no idea how to get rid of it, and so that made a huge difference for them, going under the water and coming back up. Uh, But would I make it a general practice? No, because I don't want to violate Scripture. But on the other hand, I understand the human character. Okay. Who's next? (laughs) I've just excommunicated Tom Parrish. I know. Out of the denomination. I'm going. I'll kind of throw a a little little bit of a story, personal story, and then a practical one that that I experienced as a pastor. So I I was baptized as an infant in the church tradition that I grew up in, but didn't really have any really faith understanding or saving relationship with Jesus until I was later, until later in life. And I I was actually baptized then um, as an adult, and where I made a public profession in the context of a local church. And so for me, it was a both ends. So I, I got both bases covered. So I'm I'm good, I think. Right? Good no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but I but I did have once uh, a student when I was a youth pastor come up to me and and said that you know I, I I was baptized, you know I think when they were nine or ten years old. And he goes, I really didn't understand what I was doing. I totally went through the motions. I just did it because my parents wanted me to. And I, now I really understand, and I, I want to be baptized again, like for real this time. And I, and I think I don't make a general practice of it, too. I think that's wise. But I, after talking with this student and, and, and really clarifying their understanding of the gospel and truly what, what they were doing and the decision they were making, um, decision that they had made already and what they wanted to confirm as that public profession and witness, um, I, I, I did baptize um, that, that student. Um, and it was, again, but I, I do agree there's lots of different— modalities in terms of applications, how we understand baptism. But I think as long as we recognize that we're identifying ourselves with the death and resurrection of Jesus because of the blood that had been shed that inaugurated the new covenant, then um, I think that's what's most important. Excommunication number two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you think about it. I I don't know. I don't know. I want to chime in. Peter, save us. Come on, Peter. Peter, 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 jump in. I want to excommunicate Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> I'll give it a shot. I, I admit that I probably uh, sympathize to some degree with uh, Justin's position and, and the rest of, of the new heretics in, in our case. But, um, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, I, I probably, I can waver back and forth in different theologies of baptism. I know that anecdotally I share uh, your experience, Justin, where I was baptized as an infant and, um, and then was baptized again in, in my mid-30s. My wife and I went into the waters of baptism together. And and I will say there was something terribly profound that happened uh, in that interchange under those waters where from from more of a, a conscious place of choice, we were baptized in those moments. I, I would share the idea that we don't make baptism an ongoing practice. I think there's a one baptism kind of moment. Uh, but with the origins of infant baptism, at least often, uh, as we understand it, uh, coming from about the 4th and 5th century with St. Augustine and the idea that baptism was going to be his modality for removing the stain of original sin and that it should happen as early as often in people, or as early as possible in people's lives uh, in, in the newborn infant. Um, again, there's some parts of that view that I can sympathize with, but I do probably mostly align with the idea of somebody making a conscious choice to publicly express the fact that now I will follow Jesus and I'll enter those waters of baptism. So Brock, I don't know, does that keep me in the fold or am I out of the fold? uh, But Peter, are are you, yeah, Augustine was in the 400s, but infant baptism is, was clearly practiced before then. Is that what you were saying? It it didn't start, infant baptism didn't start in the fourth century. We know it's in the first and second century from the early church fathers. I think, yeah. I, okay. but, but the way it was practiced and, and the purpose yeah. of the practice okay. in my life was related okay. to that part of, yeah. uh, of an understanding of baptism. Yeah, so, you know, um, if, if my, I, I was raised Lutheran. I go to a Baptist college, and I experience the wonderful worship that the Baptists have with their hymns. You know, I, I grew up with kind of, well, boring hymns. I go to Bethel uh, University, and man, could they sing. And they sang all right. these Fanny Crosby type songs. I'd never heard this stuff. I thought it was great. So I go home to my Omaha Lutheran pastor. I said, Pastor Schaff, why do we baptize babies? And Because I was on the verge of becoming a Baptist. And he shared some biblical stuff with me that, and I won't, this would be a whole show, but just showed me biblical stuff that made him believe in infant baptism. And I do too. I will yep. add this caveat. If on the last day I discover the Baptists were right, I'm not going to fall over. I don't, th- <laughs> I, I don't think they're right, but if it turns out they are, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, and I think it, to sympathize, again, to go back to your position on this too, Tom, as I know uh, for a while— as involved in leadership in a, in a local covenant church. And there, I, I appreciated what the covenant church's position was on baptism, is that they did baptize infants. They didn't just dedicate infants. They were willing to baptize infants. And I will say that maybe one of the most profound services I've ever participated in was along those lines. I mean, the the, the community gathered around the waters of the baptismal pool as young children and some children that were not capable of conscious choice were baptized. And I'll tell you what, that veil got really thin between between mm-hmm. heaven and earth in those moments. And, mm-hmm. and again, this is anecdotal, and, and I think yeah. Scripture and early church practice does support the idea of infant baptism. I'm not sure about the idea of it wiping away an original sin kind of thing and more of, uh, of sort of Augustinian theology, mm-hmm. but there certainly does seem to be a whole lot of precedent and reason to be baptized as infants. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like you, if on the last day that is the way in which uh, God intended for baptism to be practiced, I, yeah, I certainly won't fall over either. Well, the problem, the truth of it is that the way we get baptized and when we get baptized is not the stamp of salvation. The stamp of salvation 
is surrendered to Jesus Christ by his grace. And we make baptism, Lutherans have made baptism a salvation event in some cases, where it's really a reflection of the salvation the Lord brings to us. Think of the Old Testament. When did a Jew, male Jew, become an Israelite? When they were circumcised. On the eighth day. (laughs) On On the the eighth eighth day. day. Now, the advantage they had over us today is that when they grew up as adults, they couldn't say, I think I'll get recircumcised. And I'm serious about that because we can do that as adults with baptism, but with the covenant of circumcision, you would not even think in those terms. What did all the prophets appeal to? They appealed to the fact that you were you were circumcised into the covenant of the Lord God Almighty. Now you're called to obey him. And I think we've lost a lot of that in Christianity, and we make I, I get weary of the way that we make Christianity so personal that it's all me doing something rather than what Jesus has done for me. Yeah, and you know, Tom, I too get nervous when I hear somebody said, yeah, the I, I'm a Missouri Synod Lutheran now, which is very conservative, and somebody said to me uh, recently, yeah, these Missouri Synod Lutherans down the street, they all think they're going to heaven because they were baptized. And I resonate with that because Hitler was baptized, Stalin was baptized, sure. and Jesus said, yeah. he who endures to the end must be, will be saved. But on the other hand, there are three, there, mm-hmm. uh, First Peter 3, baptism sure. corresponding to this now saves, saves you. you, and then you've got whoever, you need to be born of water and the Spirit, I think that's a baptism. Then you've got a reference, and then you've got Titus, you were saved by the washing of regeneration. I think most people uh, in the history of the church have seen that as a reference to baptism. So here's the way I put it together. We need to get baptized. It's not just a nice symbol. God actually washes us, gives us the Holy Spirit. Be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, says Peter in the book of Acts. So it's a big deal. Now, we know, we know the thief on the cross was saved, but I think had he come down from the cross, they would have baptized him. And so... Uh, there is one sense in which baptism saves because it puts us into the saving death of Christ. You know, that's that's Romans 6. You know, sometimes these great biblical truths, we isolate them. And what I mean by that is, and your crap, the, the three scripture passages you just mentioned, absolutely true. But who were, the, who were the, the disciples talking to? But people that had already confessed Jesus with their mouth. Mm-hmm. And so they came to the river to be baptized. Baptism now saves you because the disciples wanted to put all the emphasis on Jesus, not on you believing. Today, we've turned that around in Western culture. It's all, have I believed enough? And we're not how much sure, you know, with Jesus, how much of Jesus I need. We need all of him, and it's all his work. I mean, and I do believe in infant baptism. Well, and so if somebody asked me, Tom, when did you get saved? I think the best answer is 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid my sin debt. Yeah. All right, how do I get connected to that saving event 2,000 years ago? I think it's through baptism, through the covenant, you know, and and so, but it's a big deal in the New Testament. But I, I, I yeah. also am uncomfortable with people who think I'm going to heaven. I got my ticket because I was baptized. Something's wrong with that. And, yeah, and you guys, I think you know, I think what we can safely say to you about this is that um, baptism is non-negotiable. But but there's a lot of well-meaning traditions mm-hmm. over the years mm-hmm. that have understood it in different ways, and they are faithful, well-meaning traditions. And so this is one of those issues. I think even communion falls into that category, too, when you look at three different views of communion from transubstantiation to consubstantiation to symbolic, you know, memorial only. Uh, Many well-meaning, scripture-loving, scripture-based churches have come to some different ideas about what the meaning and impact and effect and and, yes. and practice should look like. But there is an agreement that the, these things are part of the life of the believer, and that's non-negotiable. Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully. One fast <laughs> and fun story, and then Bill will give it back to you. Ah! <laughs> Hi, Bill. I was born March 19th, 1950. 
I was baptized as an infant, April 30th, 1950. And the day that I was baptized, I guess I was so ornery. I was kicking my little booties and screaming and carrying on during the whole baptism, and water was flying everywhere. Then after the pastor got done, he this is the only time he said this. He was 40 years of this church. The only time he said this, he said, this young man is going to grow up and preach the gospel. And he said that right there. Now, I'm not saying that was a prophetic word, but it is kind of unique in that moment at that baptism that he would say something like that. And this has been my call on my life. Sounds like the demons were coming out. (laughs) (laughs) And they left forever. (laughs) Peter, I'm curious, when you and your wife were uh, baptized when you were in your 30s, was it a public profession of faith? Or did did a friend take you into the the river and say, we want to do this? Yeah, no, we we were definitely we were publicly acknowledging what was already true. We weren't we weren't seeing that we were saved in those moments in the waters of well, baptism. I know, I know but it that. was something. But was, what, there a, say that again? was there a public audience that was saying, "Oh, oh for sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely for sure." Okay, good. All right, cool. This is a a, a subject that I know is going to be uh, emotional for many people, and I I just want to stay uh, nice and focused and biblical. And I think we've got uh, some interesting discussion here. I don't know if I'll come back to it after the break. We'll find out. <laughs> But right now I'm going to break. I wouldn't. Yeah, no, I'm going to break. Uh, <laughs> questions or comments or anything you'd like to throw in the mix, uh, we'd love to hear from you, 877-933-2484. Uh, one dear listener said, um, uh, does God look at our actions or our heart? Uh, so we'll be right back. the show i hope there are still listeners out there (laughs) guy talks happening let me know if you have a question we're going to do the extended version today so we're going to have a little extra time with the power panel well let me know 877-933-2484 is regeneration a result of salvation or does regeneration result in salvation is regeneration a result of salvation or does regeneration result in salvation. What comes first? I guess, yeah, I guess I would just suggest quickly, Bill, on that one, that um, salvation means to rescue from and then to heal and restore. And so, you know, I guess I would suggest that uh, as the work of salvation comes into our life and rescues us from the bondage to sin and, and our resulting behaviors and realities, that then in that rescuing, it begins to restore and regenerate um, the new man that is in us, to use the language of scriptures. We're, we're born again, as new creation. So I think salvation comes in, rescues, and then begins the work of regeneration. I like. I think it's both. I cannot believe in Christ on my own power and strength. It's the Holy Spirit who regenerates me and gets me out of my rebellious, um, original sin state of rebellion. The Holy Spirit brings me to faith in Christ. And so that's a regeneration. That's the first act of regeneration. But if it's real, it'll be worked out in my life from then on. So I think it's I, I'm, I was saved by the Holy Spirit, and I'll be uh, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think the, the you know theologians have used this phrase over the years called the ordo salutis, or the order of salvation, to try to really kind of figure out what's the exact you know order in the process of, of, of this. And I think it, you know, at least kind of to Peter's and now to you, Tom, like that idea. I think it, I think a little bit it is a both and. I think it does overlap. You know, um, and that idea almost regeneration as a as a pathway 
um, to of salvation that that we are washed. We talk about that idea of being baptism, that you are regenerated, you are washed, regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in Titus three um, that um, then, but that regeneration, we are now a new creation. But now that leads into the fact that 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 continued regeneration that is there is an ongoing renewal you know that being transformed by the renewing of your mind and so um i think there's a little bit of a both of a both and nature here that still kind of speaks to the i don't know i would say the glory and really the the, the mystery behind um the way that god saves us i'd love to have a conference with pastors and lay people on john 3 about being born again this is a big divisional factor like baptism is in christianity and yet when you look at John 3 and read it closely, and I love the, the last verse, verse 9 or verse 8, where he's talking to Nicodemus about you must be born again, and how can I do that, and all this type of stuff. He says this, The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What control do you guys have over the wind? I have no control. It just simply happened. The Spirit did it. The Spirit moved. Now, can I resist the Spirit? Well, yeah, there is a part of me that can resist the, the work of the Holy Spirit and refuse to believe. But the work of, of the, the regeneration of that waking up spiritually, if you understand regeneration is waking up spiritually and then continually waking up to Jesus every day, who he is, that's a work of the Spirit. Yeah. Now, my problem is I fight against that at times. Mm-hmm. I want other things. I want to do my own thing. And that's where the battle comes in. The issue for the Christian is not repentance to receive Jesus, although you've got to do that. It's how willing are you to repent after you receive Jesus. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's a daily thing. I'm daily repenting because I'm daily at odds with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I need to renew my mind to be like his. But I think also, you know, what did the Scripture say? You did not choose me, says Jesus, but I chose you. And apart from me, you can do do nothing. nothing. So the emphasis in Christianity needs to go back on the target, and the target is Jesus. It's not how you and I always respond to it. I know we all have our feelings. How do we work this out? Well, we work it out by continually going back to Jesus and asking him what he'd have us do. And I'm guessing, even though we've got Baptists and Lutherans here, I think we can agree on this. Luther was big on what is the daily significance of baptism? That daily I drown my old evil self, my old Adam, and and am raised a new creature in Christ. So our, Luther thought of baptism as something you do every day. That right. you, you know you daily have to drown the old evil Adam in us, and we daily need to let Christ come forth. Yeah, and just uh, just uh, to Brock, for <laughs> to be clear, I'm more of a denominational mutt than I am anything. I, I have a <laughs> wide variety of denominational backgrounds yeah, and yeah. stuff. So well, that's I've helpful. taught in Christian Missionary Alliance, the Baptist, all sorts of places, and it, and that's kind of the fun of it is that. I think to get anchored uh, in one specific denomination to the absence of all others or exclusion of all others um, would perhaps be maybe missing out on the richness uh, of some of the different theological Uh, traditions that also are anchored to the scriptures. Peter, I was, get this, Peter, I was baptized Catholic, raised Lutheran, went to a Baptist university while I was a Presbyterian youth director. (laughs) That explains a great deal. (laughs) You're not a thoroughbred either, then. That's great. Yeah, I like to call myself an even Baptocostalic. I like it. There you go. <laughs> I like that. I have a, a listener said I was baptized as an infant in the Lutheran Church and raised with the knowledge that Jesus was my Savior. I later professed my faith in a Pentecostal church as a 10-year-old, and later I was baptized as an adult in a lake. I have to say that the event when I was baptized as an adult was a supernatural experience. I believe God looks down on all these experiences as blessings to me and to him. None of it is mm. of my own works. All were beneficial. Mm. All have been used to glorify him. 
I do want to trivialize this. Excommunication number three. I'm kidding. (laughs) No, I don't want to trivialize this. But if if the infant baptism is the Lord establishing the covenant and somebody gets baptized as an adult and they do have a spiritual experience, I don't question that at all. The Lord moves. That doesn't invalidate what the Lord did a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And that's the concept of covenants. And we have a tendency to not understand that concept. But, yeah, I've known lots of people have been rebaptized, and it's effective for them. Yeah, this is, I know we're creating some emotional response here from listeners, so we've got to be very tender and careful with everyone. Uh, just a listener said, I'm, I'm, this baptism talk has, had, has me on the verge of tears. I'm not following why you think babies should be baptized. Tell me the scripture. I just don't agree with you, but am I wrong? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. From the moment we're conceived, we're already sinful creatures, and we're out of touch with the Lord. And unless he renews by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, which the early church looked at baptism as part of that process, that covenant, we can't believe in Jesus. And and that's a hard one. And people say, well, you know, a little baby can't believe. We don't know that. It says in Psalms, David writes, even on my mother's breast, I trusted in thee. Now, what do you do with that? And and uh, We were down at the ark uh, a couple of years ago. I got tears in my eyes when I saw the full-size ark in Kentucky. Ken Ham gave a lecture. He's the whole guy behind this. And he goes, yep, we just had our 13th granddaughter, another little sinner. You know, he's absolutely right. Because kids don't grow up to be good. No. They have to be taught to be good. They have to ta- be taught to forgive. They have to be taught to love and think of others. Because we just don't, aren't born well, that way. And, you know, your, your listener that has tears in her eyes over this, I would encourage her, you know, this is something Christians have honestly disagreed with for about 500 yeah. years. And and uh, so this is, you know, I, I don't want you to be grieved about this. No. It's just the way it is. We're not going to have full understanding until the second coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if I can just add to that a little bit too, Bill, I mean, I, even with my own family experience and, and understanding that I have a profound refe- respect for um, many of, of sort of the Catholic theological um, ideas over 1,500 years prior to Protestants, and, and knowing that, too, the Catholic Church did get messed up uh, pretty badly with indulgences and all of that leading to the Reformation. But my grandparents are Catholic, and, and as part of the practice of infant baptism, within the understanding of the Catholic tradition, you did need to get baptized as an infant to be able to avoid the fires of hell. And and that theology persisted for an extended enough period of time, over 1,500 years, that my own grandmother lost three children uh, prior to them being able to be baptized, either stillborn or on the way home from the hospital. And they had to be buried outside of the Catholic cemetery. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. and in 1960, at the Vatican II Council in Rome, the Pope actually changed the historic language of 1,500 years originating from Augustine uh, in those 400s to say uh, that unbaptized infants are going to hell, and he switched it to unbaptized infants are left in the hands of the grace of God. And literally people in the 1960s began to dig up their loved ones in the cemeteries and re-bury them within the cemetery. So Ah. this isn't, this is certainly an issue that is fraught with peril. And, and is, and if it's not um, something that can move people to tears, then I think we're misunderstanding how deep the traditions have been and how potentially divisive it has been and how difficult it has been. So I appreciate what Brock said that there has been, very legitimate, well-meaning understandings that do differ from one another, and we have to take great care as we talk about it, because it is really central to so much of our journey. There are only two questions that I believe with all my heart from reading the Scriptures for years that Jesus will ask us when we stand before him face-to-face. Number one, do you love me? And that means we we lived for him, we loved him, we repented, whatever. And the second is, who did you bring with you? 
because those are the two great commands in Scripture, to submit to Jesus and to make disciples of others. Mm -hmm. If we've got those two right, you know, I don't think there's a third question on how were you baptized. And if that isn't part of the equation in terms of what's really important, uh, then the focus needs to be on Jesus. And for the person who uh, has got tears in their eyes over this, uh, I cry too. But fortunately, we're going to cry together with joy in heaven because we're both going to be there. And I, and I share, I'm a Lutheran, and I share the concern people have about the extremes of Lutheranism, which is a lady saying to me, you know, Pastor Brock, I went to my atheist uncle's funeral, but the pastor put him in heaven because he was baptized as a baby. Is that right? And I said, no, that's not right. No. So. All right. We're going to continue Guide Talk. We're going to have the extended version. Hopefully the power panel can stick around. Peter, are you uh, still with us? I can stay for the um, the first 15 minutes, but I think Brock excommunicated me for the last yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah, I, under- <laughs> I understand. Now. That's the price you pay. So we'll yeah, take a short is. break. We'll be back. Keep your questions coming in to 877-933-2484. We'll have another 30 minutes with the power panel. And then Pastor Rusty George will be joining me onto the program as well. It's going to be a great hour. All ahead coming up next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.